episode one. Good times, bad times. Getting into it quickly. Well, we uh, we put our house up for sale and it sold quickly, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, didn't have to. So don't have to keep the house clean too long. That's always that's always makes it easier. <laughs> uh, moving on to something less nice. No, this one's a, it's good time, so it's all good. Uh, people infected with COVID nineteen have a distinct smell that can be picked up by specially trained dogs with up to 94% accuracy, a study in Britain shown. And I'd much rather be sniffed by a dog than the bees we talked about last week. So I'm all for yeah, this. Yeah, that's, that's what I was just thinking. I'm all for this. Let's let's have the dogs do the smelling, not the bees. And, yeah, uh, you know, I said it last week, but they'll probably get posted about the same time. I haven't posted last week's yet. I'm still editing it. And uh, Phil Mickelson, at age 50, has become the oldest golfer to win a major. So good for him. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Good for him. I mean, he, he didn't win a lot of majors in his prime, I don't think. He won a couple, but man, oh man. 50's tough to compete with like the 20 and 30-year-olds that are up and coming. So good for him. <laughs> you got some good times? I do have a good time. Um... My good time. Uh, well, it's it's I I put it in good times, but it it, it just narrowly fits in good times, in my opinion. Um, and I put it in good times because of because of one line, one single line. Um, but a report by the International Energy Agency says immediate action is needed to reshape the world's energy sector in order to meet ambitious climate goals by 2050, including ending investments in new coal mines, oil, and gas wells. The Paris-based Global Agency is an autonomous intergovernmental organization that provides analysis, data, and policy recommendations to promote global energy security and sustainability. It, the report outlined 400 steps needed to transform how energy is produced, transported, and used, which include no investment in new fossil fuel supply projects, an end to the sale of new internal combustion engine passenger cars by 2035, and a fourfold increase in the deployment of solar and wind power by 2030 compared to last year's record level. And the reason I include this in good times is because they said... There is a narrow but possible path to lower the uh, global temperature to the necessary levels by 2050, which is better than a lot of reports I've heard. <laughs> so that's why I put it in good time. It's not a great time. It's not even really a good time. It's barely a fine time, but it's, it, it is in that section, I would say, good news. I I have heard that the new coal burning plants make no CO two. I don't believe that. The scrubbers on them get rid of everything. 
That sounds like a fake thing made up by people who like coal. Mm. But I, I don't know. I haven't read or heard anything about that. I'll need to Google that so I know for next week. I'm not sure right now. <laughs> I just heard it in a conversation. I'll need to follow up. Alright, moving on to bad times. Well, the the Wall Street Journal, which is a is that would you I would say a reputable paper? Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Has reported that three researchers from China's Wuhan Institute of Viro- Virology Virology sought hospital care in November 2019, months before China disclosed the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, was citing a previously undisclosed U.S. intelligence report, and uh, it adds weight to calls for a broader probe of whether COVID-19 could have escaped from a lab, which I always thought was probably uh, a, um, you know, like a conspiracy theory, but this kind of makes it seem maybe legitimate. I I don't know. I'd like to see at least the research done if this is the case. Like three guys from the from the Institute of Virology had to get treated for COVID before it was sort of around the world. Yeah, that's not good. Seems dodgy. (laughs) And also back a little bit closer uh, closer to home, the uh, what is it with de- Democratic governors and their inabil- inability to follow their own COVID guidelines? Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer from from Michigan. Michigan has joined Gavin Newsom as governors that went out for big dinners with lots of friends in COVID lockdowns. Oh, jeez. And, uh, you know, apologized, but come on. Yeah, honestly... They're your rules. How do you expect other people to follow them if you don't? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I forgot. <laughs> really? <laughs> Same with Gavin Newsom. Really? Do better. And especially after Gavin Newsom's, like, big deal, you think all of them would have been more caseful, more careful. Yeah. You know everybody has a phone. Do better. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? It doesn't matter if they have a phone or not. Don't do it. Stay home. Yeah. Like you're telling everybody else to do. Anyway, over to you. <laughs> um, yeah, I have one bad time, and it is um, people who work with Indigenous families say they're not optimistic any real change will come out of an investigation by the Quebec Human Rights and Youth Rights Commission, which found the youth protection system is failing Inuit children in Montreal. Children from Nunavik who enter into youth protection are often flown to Montreal to stay in group homes, foster homes, or rehabilitation centers because of a lack of resources in the north. The commission's report, released Wednesday, found that these children were deprived of proper education, sometimes discouraged from speaking their own language, and left feeling isolated and homesick. It doesn't, and that sounds a lot like residential schools to me. It doesn't sound like a failing in Montreal. Well, it's not. But uh, it doesn't sound like there's a failing in Montreal. It sounds like there's a failing in the north. And well, I, I would argue there's a failing for 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 both. 
Well, did you say when you said it's not? Did you go, you just mean you go it's to Montreal school. You go to Montreal, and you're going to be speaking French because that's what Quebec only wants to speak now. So, forget about any other language. Uh, yeah, they are going into these villages and ripping people from their families. It's different. No, it's it is different in that respect. Well, and that's right. the worst respect. That, to, no, deprived of proper education discouraged from speaking their own language, left feeling isolated and homesick. These were all aspects of residential schools. I mean, they're probably not so much discouraged as from speaking their own language as nobody in Montreal speaks that language. So they can't communicate with them if they're speaking that language. Well, I mean, the article didn't go into this, but I would say... Um, that perhaps that's the case, you know, maybe they need to be taught French or English, because Montreal is fairly anglophone. Um, um, maybe they need to be taught French or English to communicate with staff, but if they're being discouraged from speaking their own language with each other, that's a problem. Yeah, that's... That's... Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you're right. You need to need more information. But I still... Uh, you know, we're... It's it's a big. I think it's a big difference because you're trying to protect children from bad situations versus going in to take them away from good families. That that it's, that's a it huge is, difference. It huge. is it's it is different, but I think it's still like you know things that need to be kept in mind because you know like yes maybe you want these children to be able to communicate with staff but they also are speaking languages that are at risk and they need to not lose that language it is a part of their culture and um really we have more of a duty to learn that language than they have to do to learn our language because they were here first you know what then they can stay up there and and be in the bad families and get beat by their parents like what what do you mean well, no, that's... <laughs> People, I think this is somebody legitimately trying to take care of these kids. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like they're taking out of bad situations, not good ones. You mean deprived of proper education and feeling isolated is in a good situation? I mean... Well, yeah, you're gonna... Listen, anybody taken from their home is gonna feel isolated. Probably a lot like English and French-speaking kids that get taken out of their home and put into these foster cares and that. Foster care is not fun. None of these things are fun for the kids. They're awful. That's why they try to keep them out. Like, it's, they're awful. But sometimes well, they're the better choice. Sometimes they're a better choice than staying in a family where kids are getting beaten or sexually abused. Yes, I'm not saying don't take the kids. I'm saying provide better care for them after you take them. Then I don't think that is an issue with the Inuits. I think that's an issue with uh, foster care in general and these kids' programs in general. Well, I think if this commission is saying that specifically uh, it's in Inuit children, then I think it's probably only happening to Inuit children. Did they only investigate Inuit children or did they investigate the whole system and said, everybody else is great, but the Inuit children are having problems? Well, I don't, how would you go in and say and just investigate the Inuit children, like if they're all in a mixed group? Uh, easily? I mean easily. They should all be getting the same education. Yeah, I bet you they all are. I don't know. I would need more information. 
Yeah, I, yeah, that. you're right. We need more information. I, I think they probably treat every kid the same, which is probably not great across the board because these places tend to be underfunded. Maybe that has more an effect on kids that don't speak English or French. Absolutely. But that that could be Hindi, Italian, anything other than English or French. But most kids, you know, I, there's not a lot. No, I don't know. I don't know what the what the demographic for uh, uh, immigrants is as far as their kids speaking English or not. I'm not sure. I just I just don't. I mean, I'd need to see the study. If they looked at everyone and said everybody else is doing really good but there's a problem with how we treat the Inuit kids fine but I just don't believe that I think there's a bigger problem with the system but they were specifically invest well I mean I, I don't know I'd have to see the study in more detail to actually make an informed opinion yeah well I mean I think the answer is first of all I want to say they should um um, uh, letting the North giving the North proper funding to run its own system but um, you should also to, to allow these kids to speak their own language which they should be allowed to speak in my opinion uh, hire somebody who does they're around and the uh, amount of employment amongst indigenous people is disproportionately high because they don't get hired because of racial biases. So I'm sure someone will happily take it. Maybe. I don't know. I, may, I mean, potentially. How many? The other thing is how many kids are you... T I mean, one is probably too many, but how many kids are you talking about versus kids through the system? I mean, you need to really look at the study in way more detail to, to make... I think there's big... You know there is issues with all this when you when you have kids taken away from their families. Absolutely, hundred percent, no question. But it's expen it's an expensive uh, procedure, and you know a lot of people don't want to spend their money there, so it ends up getting cut, which is too bad. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I just um, I I the. The news article I got this from was actually an article talking about how um, uh, activists from the area aren't hopeful that anything's going to change after this report because nothing's changed before. But this, I found an article that just talks about the uh, report, and it says that um, in some cases students were being punished or discouraged or punished. Um, from speaking uh, uh, um just amongst themselves. Sorry, Inuktuk, uh, whatever, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, but their language, uh, just amongst themselves. Yeah, well, that's not great. I feel like that's bad, yeah. Anyway, that's my bad time. All right. Well, that was a quick one then. <laughs> There's a kind of hush all over the world. Tonight, all over the world. 
the world. Uh, in Italy, a cable car linking a lake with a mountain. You know those ones, like, where you have those cables and the big cars and they go up the side of the mountain so you don't have to hike up? You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. At, like, its highest point fell and there's at least 14 people dead. Oh, great. And that's why I just... I don't, I've never trusted those things. <laughs> they they seem dodgy to me. Like, uh, one cable for all those cars? Like, the way up there, car? No. Uh, no. Don't like them. Don't think I'm going to go on them. And moving on. <laughs> it, in India now, the doctors are fighting a fatal fungal infection that's affecting COVID-19 patients or those who have been covered from the disease. So, yeah, they're just not catching a break over there. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, yeah, so you get COVID, you recover, and then you get some sort of fatal fungal infection. So, not what they need. It's, just, it's bad. Anyway. That's bad. That's very bad. That's all I got. Uh, okay, well, my first thing is um, that a volcano uh, erupted in the Congo with little warning, leaving at least 15 people dead amid the chaos and destroying more than 500 homes. The eruption of the volcano uh, on Saturday night sent about 5,000 people fleeing from the city of Goma across the nearby border of the Congo into Rwanda and Kenya, while another 25,000 others sought refuge to the northwest um, uh, in the city of uh, Sake, or Sake. I, I don't know how to pronounce that, I'm sorry. Um, it's probably one of those two. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, and, and this is horrible... But shouldn't we be able to predict these things by now? Well, this is what I was about to say. It's like, how can it possibly go with little warning? What do you mean? Yeah. Isn't it, last time I checked, it was 2021. Yeah, like, aren't we constantly monitoring these things? I thought so. I thought so. Maybe not in the Congo. <laughs> I guess. They're, they're not, um, you know... Where did you get exactly this... Uh, the... Where did you get this article from? CBC, Why? Oh, I just love, like, the first line you have is torrents of lava. And I'm like, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I guess, you know, the Congo is um, supposedly one of the worst countries in the world to live in. Um, so, perhaps not. Maybe because they don't monitor the volcanoes. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably part of it. <laughs> um... But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's 154th out of 177 of the most corrupt, 155 out of 167 for the least democratic. Who beat them? Um, my God. Sorry? I said, who beat them? That's awful. That's my God. I think if you're going to be, either be good, like, you know, top, top 40, top 50, or go for 177th. Yeah. Well, they're rated um, as the fifth most failed state in the world. 
Um, you don't even get. That's not even meddling in failed states. That's not even top three. <laughs> well, actually, they improved um, from last year. They got better. Oh, were they fourth last year? <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh, they 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 got better. The the less or, or somebody got worse. <laughs> Which, to be honest, is more likely. No, I looked at it, um, and they're better. The, it's, it's a green arrow downwards. Oh, okay. We're, uh, we're, there's only, looking at, I'm looking at this failed state index. I didn't know this was a thing. We're only, uh, there's only seven people um, less failed than we are. What does that mean? Seven countries. What's the least failed state then? What's what's Finland. when? What's it? What do they call? What is, what does a failed state mean? How are we? Um, how are we? One hundred and seventieth. We're looking at uh, uh, social, economic, and political factors. Um, and Canada ranks 170th. Sorry? And Canada ranks 170th. 171st. That's... I don't know that I believe that. Well, it's... I mean, it's... it's Overall, like, the scores are pretty close. So the lower the number, the, the better you are. Yeah. So Finland's 14.6. Norway's 16.2. Switzerland 17.1, Denmark 17.2, Iceland 17.8, New Zealand 17.9, Sweden 18.2, Canada 18.7. So like there's there's a pretty, you know, they're, they're, that's all pretty close. Oh, Democratic sorry, Republic, sorry. Republic. We're the seventh best? Yes. I thought you were saying we were seven from the bottom of the list. No, no, but the top of the list is the most failed state. Okay, sorry. Okay. I thought you meant we were the seventh most failed state. No. No. <laughs> like, I don't know that I'd buy that. No. <laughs> Democratic Republic of the Congo than us. Oh. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we are the top uh, Top seven. ten. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> We're... We're 171st. The U.S. is 149th. Nice. Hey, I got the next country uh, up from them is Estonia. <laughs> uh, just off topic. I know this isn't uh, all this, over the world. We shouldn't be talking about this anyway. This is that's still all over the world. It's that's good. But we, I, uh, I was chatting with a, a friend of mine that I used to work with, and he has started listening. He's on episode one. So once he gets to this episode fifty four, uh, this is a shout out saying hi to to Peter Liniger and uh, you know thanks for listening. If you make it this far, there's a good chance he won't make it fifty four episodes. Let's be honest. There's a very good chance he won't. <laughs> make it. Honestly, you should tell him like there are some skippable episodes. I said, I said, I don't know if you want to start at one. And he goes, no, it's okay. The first episode of Seinfeld's were week two, and apparently, in my in our first episode. I made that joke about the first episode of Seinfeld being weak. Oh. So he's like, hey, I just listened to your first episode. We made the same joke. <laughs> well, everything, every little thing, every little thing with you and me had to be so political. Everything, everything with you and me was so.
Political, and uh, I just have one, so I'm going to go first. Senator okay. Senator Rand Paul has said on Sunday that he will not be getting vaccinated against COVID-19. And isn't that the exact sort of thing you want to hear from your leaders? I hope he gets it. He already had it. That's why he says he doesn't need it. Oh, my God. I hope that um, he gets it again. You know what the Democrats should say after a certain amount of point, like after a certain point when there's been enough time for them all to get vaccines, the Democrats should say if you're not vaccinated, you can't come on the Senate floor. Yeah, well, I don't think they will, but it's just nah, they're they're pretty lame. That is uh, just the opposite of what senators should be saying. Uh, you yeah. really. What a moron. I, I mean, he, we know, already he knew that, elected. but my God. When he was elected, he was more of a libertarian, um, like hard right economics, but kind of took a more moderate center right approach to social issues. But since then, and I guess, you know, this happened with People Trump used to think you have to, yeah. People used to think you have to, and then they realize they don't. Yeah. We can say what we really think. To the right. Yeah. Wait a minute. We don't have to pretend anymore? God, it's a mess. That's all I got. Mine's short and sweet. All right. I got, I got, I got a few, and I've, I've added a few just like while we've been talking, but ah. uh, I, I'm hoping to live through them. Um, Republican uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Wednesday signed into law a fetal heartbeat abortion bill that bans abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy and grants citizens the right to sue doctors who perform the procedure past that point. And, what citizens? Um, what? what? Is, like what? as a sorry, just like as a as a class action lawsuit. What citizens? What what does that mean? Who is I, suing the doctors? Like I, I can anybody? just I can just sue the doctor who does it after that point because it offends me that you did an abortion on a completely person that I don't know? I guess. My God. Um, and this, in a shot to nobody, lawmakers who supported the legislation have said that it is intended to go to the Supreme Court and lead to an overturn of Roe v. Wade. Right. Um, and of course, you know, just, and it might have been unnecessary because on Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to consider um, a Mississippi law that uh, banned the procedure after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Um, they're going to hear the, the, the case in the next term, which starts in October and ends in June. So it could happen anytime, 2021, 2022. And uh, I, um, I'm uh, not hopeful. Yeah, it's going to get overturned. Yeah. And they don't have a notwithstanding clause down there, do they? No. I don't know why they um, elect anyone. Yeah. Honestly, you can't... Anything can go to the Supreme Court and they make the rules. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. And then, depending on who appointed the Supreme Court then they get to make their rules. So, 
the elect the electors or the people that get elected uh, they're meaningless yeah Nineteen seventy-three. Man, oh man. Yeah, this seems like a, a thing we should overturn now. Let's worry about fetuses and not people getting shot on the street with him. It's ridiculous. It really weapons. is. Anyway. Um, sorry, go ahead. And now here is um uh something crazy. Uh, you know, we have often criticized the U.S. senators who stick around for too long, and we say it's an issue. Um, so, Democrat Patrick Leahy um, has signaled that he is not going to retire. In he's up for re-election, his next midterms, and he's signaled that he's going to run again. How old is he? He's in. He is currently 81. Uh-huh. He was first elected in 1974. Oh, the year after Roe versus Wade. Yeah, <laughs> is currently in his um, eighth 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 uh, term. Would be running for the ninth. If he gets his ninth ter- ninth term and serves all of it, he will become the longest-serving senator in um, United States history. Um, he need, he he, how many more long- years does he need to get that? Because, honestly, he's been going for 40-something years already. I, I think the longest is 50, so a few, just a few more. Um, so he was elected in a wave of Democratic... Um, uh, elect state elections, uh, a sort of a blue wave across the midterms in '74. Watergate scandal, right? And he's just been riding that wave ever since. <laughs> yes. Remember Nixon? He's the only citizen senator to have served during Gerald Ford's presidency, and one of just two left who served under Jimmy Carter's. He is the longest-serving senator Vermont's ever had, and. He's been serving for so long. Vermont's a pretty blue state. That's we know this, right? You know that. Yeah, yeah. They're a pretty left wing state. They elect Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um they they used to be a very red state. To the point where Patrick Leahy is the only Democratic senator ever elected to Vermont. Holy cow. Yeah. He has been serving so long that he, it, Vermont, went to Joe Biden percentage-wise by more than any other state. So he's been there. He was there at the start of when it started to go blue and never turned back. He must be really good. He's really got them swung to the swung to the left. Yeah, but no, they, they he... had two Republican senators from 1855 until. Patrick Leahy was elected in 1975. There was two senators from 1855? Sorry, no. So there's always been two senators, right? 
and oh, oh, many oh, okay. But Republicans were always elected. It was two different senators. Yes. It was the same two people from 1855 to 1974. No, no, there was many elections. Republicans, really Republicans always hold that seat from 1855 till 1975. Right. Right. Wow, crazy. And to think they now have Bernie Sanders. Like, yeah. on a swing. Um, but anyway, like, part of me is like, he needs to retire. Another part of me is like, yeah, go for those records. <laughs> the only longest serving he ever d- hasn't done yet is his longest serving uh, senator in the U.S. Senate. So go for it. How do you run a campaign at 81? I've got some fresh ideas. In Vermont, you just be a Democrat. You don't need to run anything at all. Yeah, I guess so. But I would be, if I were Chuck Grass, if I were, sorry, not Chuck Grassley, Chuck Schumer, I'd be worried because this, you're, you know, if you leave the midterms and you're still up 50-50, you need this man to survive. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Alive. You know you're in trouble when you're serving with Bernie Sanders and you're the senior senator. <laughs> <laughs> That's an issue. Yeah. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene has compared Nancy Pelosi's decision to continue having a mask mandate on the floor of the House of Representatives in the U.S., to when the Nazis took control of the Jewish population uh, during the Third Reich. Yeah, that seems equivalent. Yeah, I agree. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. She's, she's <laughs> spot on there. It's, no, her, it's her insights. It's her insights that make her such a good um, representative. Yeah, she's the one who uncovered the Jewish space lasers. Yeah. She is on... causing the wildfires in California. She is on the ball. I... Yeah. Uh, I just get all my news from her now. <laughs> and she's the one who's accused uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of uh, not being intelligent enough to debate her on the Green New Deal. And, yeah, if I were AOC, I'd be like, I'm not debating you because you're too stupid to actually have a debate. You don't even need to say that. I mean, honest, the, the thing is, the people that support her will support her regardless. And other people can see that she's a fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on, prosecutors in the Matt Gates um, child sex trafficking accusations um, accusations have secured the support and cooperation of an ex-girlfriend of his. This comes after they already secured the support of his wingman. Yeah. So I guess things aren't looking great for Matt Gates. Now, um, was his ex-girlfriend underage at the time? Because that would seem to pretty much seal the deal. <laughs> no, but um, uh, I hope he gets arrested soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you have to wait till you have all your ducks in a row, but... Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of weird because it's normally this sort of thing would be done in private. Like you wouldn't know every sort of step. But I guess because he's sort of a public figure, they're doing it a bit more above, yeah, or uh, more openly. 
Yeah. So it seems slow, it, but it probably isn't slow. You just know earlier. Yeah, probably. And he's, um, you know, he's arguably Marjorie Taylor Greene's biggest friend in the um, uh, House of Representatives. Yeah, you that, know, they're going on their big tour to talk about policy and all stuff they believe in together. That is truly and not surprising. It is not. You know, you can judge a lot about people by the company they keep. You know, the you know that tour will be platonic because she's way too old for Matt Gates. Yeah, absolutely. And then, in a bit of news that I'm incredibly disappointed by, Biden dropped his the price tag of his ambitious infrastructure bill from 2.25 trillion to 1.75 trillion dollars in an attempt to appease Republicans. Um, and is that that's 500 billion dollar savings, roughly? It's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but with things like I, I don't know exactly what he's cut. Yeah, it depends what he's cut. Again, you need to know. You need to have the details on what got cut before you can say is it a good deal, good or bad. But I still everything I'd heard about it, um, I really liked, and it seemed like things that really needed to happen. And the thing with infrastructure, more than most things, I mean, this is true of a lot of things. But infrastructure especially, the longer you put off fixing it, the more expensive it's going to get. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, that is absolutely true. But it's not. I mean, fixing it needs to be done regardless. Like, you can't, you know, it, you need to fix your bridges every X number of years. It doesn't matter how much it costs. But this is, I think, I think they're talking about more like new projects. Like, for example, building a subway in Toronto, which should have been done 40 years ago. Yeah. So it's, it's a reducing Biden's proposed spending level on roads, bridges, and major projects by $39 billion. That doesn't... It also takes spending on manufacturing, research and development, and supply chains out of the talk. Sorry? So it all sound like important things to me. Yeah, I'm sure they aren't going to zero. They're just being reduced a bit. Well, um, well, what did I just say? Spend manufacturing, research and development, supply chains are out of the top entirely. That's just a hundred percent cut. Maybe. I mean, you can't. I guess it's infrastructure. Manufacturing technically is an infrastructure. Like I, I the, honestly, the the biggest thing for me is that. The Democrats have a trifecta right now. They probably won't after 2022. The way things look right now, they'll probably keep the Senate but lose the House. Um, and so they need to pass the things that they need to pass. And Mitch McConnell has said that he 100% of his focus is on blocking the Biden administration. Like, you cannot appease Republicans. There's like four Republicans who might be willing to work with you. Maybe. Yeah, yeah they gotta skip working with Republicans, but I, I just don't know that, uh, you know, I, they say it's to appease Republicans, that way they can blame them. It could, you don't know. And also, I don't know if manufacturing really falls under infrastructure, so 
I guess you're manufacturing bridges, but yeah, I, I don't know. It depends what they mean. It's a broad, broad definition, so it That's depends true. what they mean. But if it's like manufacturing cars, it's not really infrastructure, and you shouldn't be giving money to those companies anyway. They're private companies. Let them succeed or fail on their own. That I agree with. Um, moving on to Canada. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole told CBC News that uh, the vote by party delegates to reject adding, quote, climate change is real to the policy book was a disappointment that distracted from the party's larger plan to levy a price on carbon. He said that he believes the members assembled for the party's March Policy Convention weren't rejecting the actual science of climate change, but rather a resolution that was, quote, hard to understand. Wasn't that his fault the motion- then? <laughs> Sorry? Isn't that his fault then? Yeah. The motion also asked delegates to recognize that Canadian businesses classified as highly polluting need to take more responsibility and, quote, reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and that the Conservative Party should support innovation in green technologies. I gotta say, if that was the uh, amendment, it seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. It was not, yeah. (laughs) Doesn't, Doesn't feel that hard to understand. It does not feel that hard to understand. Um, and perhaps just they think climate change isn't real. Yeah. And, and like, uh, uh, his plan to levy a price on carbon is not popular within his own party. And calling it is like a distraction. People are too distracted by the things that we do. Listen to the things that we say we're going to do, not the things we do. That's been working for the Liberals for years. Yeah, but it's the Conservatives aren't good at it yet. They're trying to get the, trying to get that percentage of the Liberal vote. Don't worry about what we do. Listen to what we say we're going to do. Exactly. Then ignore us for four years. <laughs> and then you know what? After the election. You don't need to pay attention to politics. Nah, just just go back to your lives. Just be happy. Yeah. Watch the campaigns, listen to all the nice things we're talking about, and then stop paying attention. Just for four years, then come back. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about Take more nice break. things. It was a long You've campaign. worked hard. Break. You've worked hard for that six months. You yeah. you need some time off. Three yeah. years, your, six months. Put your feet up for four years. Relax. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, um, Nunavut MP Mimalak Kak uh, won't seek re-election. Um, she is Nunavut's first ever NDP MP and was the youngest person elected to the House of Commons in 2019 at just 25. Is she also the member of parliament with the most Q's in her name? <laughs> Probably. I've never seen um, a name like that before. It's it's, in, it's Inuit. No, yeah, no, but I lived in Yellowknife. I've uh, never seen a name like that before. Yeah. Um, anyway, she... Uh, How old is she now? When was this that she got elected? Uh, October 2019, so she's either 26 or 27, depending on her birthday is. Oh, wow. Why is she... It's just too hard? Like, two years? And she's like, oh, man, I'm done. 
she um, she uh, went on, and this impressed me a lot because I feel like this is perhaps something MPs should do more. She went on a tour of a whole bunch of communities in Nunavut to um, um, better advocate for the housing crisis that they have going on. Mm-hmm. So to go in, like, kind of see what things are actually like. And it, um, she came away from it so depressed that her physician recommended a four-month withdrawal from public life. So she did that, and then she came back, and then it got bad again, and her physician told her to take another two weeks. So she did that. Um, she still kept up her responsibilities as an MP. She just wasn't doing like public speaking, press conferences. You know, she voted. Uh, of course, she voted digitally. Everyone's voting digitally. Um, but uh, didn't do like did her job as an MP. But other than that, wasn't like very public with a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, and now she's saying that uh, she's she's been a when she hasn't been like, you know, sort of taking those breaks, um, she's been known, she's been a fierce advocate for um, the need to address housing crises, or the housing crisis in Nunavut specifically, but in the North in general, and then also the ridiculous price of food in Nunavut, um, uh, like $50 for a four liter jug of orange juice. And, uh, but what she said, she said that there's, um, she's realized that the House floor is not the place for her to be advocating for these things, that the government um, has no interest in a- a- addressing the housing crisis in the North. Um, she's called their uh, co- uh, monetary commitment laughable in scope. Um, uh, she said that she still thinks the NDP is the party that actually wants to deal with these issues, but uh, that it's impossible to get real change from the House floor and that, in general, the government has no li- interest in listening to um, an Indigenous MP, and so she's it's, it's she, she doesn't want to do it anymore. Uh, it feels... I mean, I guess that's how she feels, and, you know, those are... You can't... You can't uh... Whatever, those are feelings, fine. But I, I disagree that the House floor is not the spot to talk about this. I think it's exactly the spot to talk about it and to keep I, talking about it. And to be to clear, she said it's not the spot it. for her. Well, somebody has to do it. So you think that, does she think the next person is going to be as passionate as she was about it? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, it feels like she got elected. She has a voice. It seems like the perfect place to do it. And yes, it's going to be obviously slow, and yes, you're with the NDP and they suck. Um, as far as, like, you know, nobody cares what they say. <laughs> like, nobody listens to them because they don't have any seats. But, but you know, that's the only place to do it. Where, I mean, where else are you going to do it? What, um, what are, what's the hope? Legislature? Yeah, I... I don't know. I think you're better at the. I think you're better in the, at the federal level, because that's where you're going to get the money from. There's no money in in none of it. Yeah. And then, is groceries more expensive? Yeah. Everything needs to be flied in. There's no roads. It's infrastructure. 
again, right? Yeah. And to be honest, a lot of the communities are, are on islands. You can't have roads to a lot of them, you know. So, and then you're talking about what? How subsidies? You have to get it up there somehow. It's subsidized by the wages that people are paid up there a lot. Well, depending on what you do, I guess. But you know, generally, uh, if you if if there's a job to be had, you get paid a bit more up there than you would in the south. Yeah, but the, none of it isn't the NWT or the Yukon. Like there's. There's probably as many people, none of it is originally Yellowknife. I don't, I don't know that yeah. to be true, but I, I, I think it's very sparsely populated. Yeah. Well, I mean, their biggest city is 6,000 people. Yeah, no, that, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if there's many people and none of it is originally Yellowknife. There's, so, so then there's, even, more people, there's more people in Nunavut than there is in Yellowknife, but uh, uh, actually, there's only... Um, 6,000 less in uh, Nunavut than there is in the Northwest Territories. Oh, really? Wow. But it's also, you know, huge, and everybody's very spread out. Yeah, yeah. Which also makes it hard to have groceries at a reasonable price, and, you know, yeah. and, and heating at a reasonable price, and quite frankly, housing at a reasonable price, because the way you do that is groups of people get together and then it becomes cheaper to build a bunch of things or it becomes cheaper to send the groceries up there. When you have communities of the biggest of 6,000 and they're just spread out everywhere, it's very expensive to get stuff up there. Yeah. And sorry, the, the number I gave for a Callowit, 6,000, is uh, outdated. It's closer to 8,000. It's 7,700. Yeah. And, but there's no... Still model. Can you... Can you drive to Iqaluit? I think you can, right? Through the NWT? Um, it's on Baffin Island, so if oh, it's so a branch, no. you can. No, then you can't. Yeah. Uh, no, see, that's, yeah. I, I just don't... Uh, it's an issue. I don't know how you solve it. Like, I, you, I think the federal government has to take more responsibility. But, it, you know, at what cost then? What are they cutting? Nothing. You need to spend more. <laughs> There's no more. They spent quite a bit this year. There's no more to spend. There's... Yeah, but, I, I I, mean, I've always believed that the needs of your population, ha- uh, the, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, and then you figure out the price tag. People don't have homes. It's the worst place per capita in Canada for like homelessness and the amount of people homes and the quality of homes it is the worst place in Canada for uh, price of food like these are we're not talking about like comfort we're talking about basic needs Yeah, well, it's, those it's need to not, be met and the federal government has a responsibility to make sure it's being met and so you do that and then you figure out the price tag yeah but you can't say the federal government is on the hook for this but leave us alone when it comes to everything else. Well, I think the federal government should be on the hook for a lot more than they are. No, but you're but you've made arguments in the past like just give us the money and leave us alone. If you want the feds involved and you want the feds to get the money, then they, you know, there's there's going to be some oversight. 
There always is. Regardless of where the money's going. Not that the federal government's good at it. But yeah, they're bad. They're bad at it everywhere. They're no worse there than anywhere else. They're not good at that sort of thing. But you know, you can't say this is all on you. Uh, but don't. But don't. But we're not going to follow your rules, and we're not going to pay your taxes, and we're not. Not a problem with the tax thing, but you know, like if you want all these things from the federal government, then you have to sort of live by the rules that the rest of us do. When it comes to indigenous people, I semi-disagree. I mean, I, I don't, like I said, I don't I don't dispute the taxes thing, that's fine, but, but other stuff, I think, you know, you can't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I think there are areas where definitely they need, like, like, you know, certain laws like don't kill people. That should be, you know, a blanket. Everybody's got to follow that. But I think they should be given more flexibility when it comes to uh, public education. I think they should be able to set up their own education system if they want to. I think, um, you know, they uh, they should have guaranteed service in their um, uh first language, whatever first language, whatever their first language is. Um, I think they should be able to figure out um, uh, and then with other things, sorry, I think there should be, you know, maybe some restrictions and oversight, but less than there might be otherwise. Like, give a bunch of money and be like, this is for housing, it must be used for housing. How you choose to do it with that housing is up to you. As long as like, one I person think, doesn't get a huge house and everybody else gets tiny houses. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, just up to be, you. I think there are some areas where they should just be given money and left to, you know, like, do what they would like. And there are other areas where they should be given a little bit more wiggle room than perhaps other jurisdictions are. And then there are some areas where it's the same as everywhere else. It probably does come down on what exactly you're talking about, but I still think if the feds are given the money, then I think they get to have a little bit of say in how that money's sent. This, like you said, this is for housing. You can spend it, you know, this is for housing. Show us your plan. Yeah. And, you know, if it's logical and obviously nobody's getting super rich, fine. Let's let's do it. You know, they, they can they can come up with the plan, they can do the construction, they can hire all the workers, they can get all the employment, they can take all they can do all that. But there just has to be and and this is where someone like you know, that, that MP that isn't there would be perfect for somebody in government to oversee this that's from there that can say yeah or nay, because, you know, if you're not from there, how can you... You don't know, like, if it's a good plan or not. Yeah, well, and that, that's my biggest issue with it, is you're then asking them to trust the federal government to not just shoot down your plan, even if it makes perfect sense because they don't like it. Well, that's the federal government you need someone... Great track record there. It can be, uh... It's... I agree, but, I mean, are, are you talking about the last ten years or the hundred... 500 years before that 
But uh, talking about when the Liberals promised to end the boil water advisory on all First Nation reserves by 2019, and they've only ended them on like 25 percent. Yeah. Again, not, it's not an. It was an aggressive, probably target, but. I mean, they probably could have done better, but they they broke lots of promises. That's just one of them. Um, yeah, exactly. And 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 so, why would you believe them when they promise to, you know, like as long as it's logical and fair, we'll approve it. Well, then maybe you need a, a non, like a partisan. Yeah, yeah, nonpartisan third party. Uh, what's that called? Like an ombudsman or something to make the decision. You can put your case out only when they disagree. Like, if you take it to Parliament and they say, yeah, go for it, fine. If they disagree, then it goes to this ombudsman who's neutral, and and then they can make the call. Something like that. I just... You just, you just, you just can't be throwing away money without any sort of... Uh, not throwing away, but throwing around money without any sort of, of uh, watch on it. You have to know where it's going and you have to you have to have a plan you have to see a plan for it. Yeah. I think anyway. Yeah that seems semi fair. <laughs> closer to fine and Ontario has unveiled unveiled? Yeah, that's a word, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's not unveiled. That's like an old cow. Oh, yeah. Un- unveiled their plan for their reopening and uh, I don't get the math because they say phase one is when you have 60% of Ontarians first dose vaccinated and they say sometime around June 17th, but if you go on the Ontario COVID website, they say on that site, there's currently 7.5 million Ontarians vaccinated. There's about 15 million Canadian uh, Ontarians, which is, so 60% of that is say eight and a half million or so ballpark. On that site again, it says we're doing 150,000 a day. So we're only 10 days away. From being, and you know, this was back on the 19th when they announced it. So I calculated that by 29th, the 29th, we should be in phase one. Stuff should be starting to reopen. So why is it not till the 17th of June? What, what, what part of the government website is a lie? Is my question. Did you see the Ontario curriculum that they unveiled just before COVID? <laughs> unveiled. Yeah. (laughs) Unveiled just before COVID. They're not good at math. (laughs) They're not good at math. Apparently, apparently they're bad at math. This is or or their website talking about. He's not good at most things. I just don't understand it. I don't. I want somebody to explain to me why it's taking till June seventeenth. Do you expect to vaccinate many less people a day? Do you, are you completely lying about the 7.5 million that are already vaccinated? Why? Just somebody tell me the math, please. Probably all the above. Okay. Probably lying about most things. (laughs) We're just throwing numbers out there. It's just spitball. (laughs) 
<laughs> just I, I it, for me it always comes back to the fact that this is a government that got elected with no platform that they ran on yeah fair enough and, and, and whenever I, I think of that I'm like yeah they're probably just tossing out numbers no math lying out of their asses that has nothing to do with them and everything about the uh 15 million people that live in Ontario. Yeah, well, no, no, because not all of them voted for Doug Ford. Okay, whatever. However many voted for Doug Ford, it's probably the 8.5 million that aren't vaccinated yet. Yeah, probably. That's probably why they know the the 150K is going way down, because we've, we've got all the uh, non-conservative voters to vaccinate it, so we're done. It's, the, uh, Doug Ford got uh, two million three hundred twenty-six thousand six hundred thirty-two votes. Okay. Forty point five percent of everybody who voted. That's a pathetic number. And fifty-six point six seven percent of the population voted. Also a pathetic number. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> you know what I never realized, uh, but um, I, I really should have. The Liberals were the only party, and, and this is definitely obvious looking back, they're the only party that lost seats in that election. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a lot. Lost a lot of seats. 48 seats. A lot of seats. 48 seats. They went from 55 to 7. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's bad, right? That's bad, yeah. The Conservatives gained 49 seats, and the Democrat, New Democrats gained 22. That was so... That was such an embarrassing They couldn't have gained election. 49. Sorry? They couldn't have gained 49. Um, they did. You said the Liberals lost 48. They probably new seats were added. Oh. From from the previous election. Ah, uh, a lot of new seats. Uh, if the NDP yeah, gained well, 22 and they gained 49, that's 23 new seats. And the Greens gained one seat. That's 24 new seats. That can't be right. This doesn't that, add up. It doesn't add up. These numbers don't make sense. Is this the same people that did the vaccine rollout? The, the opening rollout that did this math? Um, actually, a lot of seats were added. Really? Uh, All before, they did? In the, there was 107 seats before that election, mm -hmm. and now there's 124 in this election. But that's still not enough. That's, well, only, that's only 14 seats. They added 14 seats, but uh, a gain of 49, uh, so that's one. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so the PCs gained 49. Yeah. The Liberals lost 48. Right. So that's one new seat yeah. for the PCs. Yeah. Um, uh, the New Democrats gained 22, so that's 23. The Greens gained one, that's 24. 24 new seats, and how many? 7 to seven to 24 is 17. 
Yeah. Um, Somewhere six seats. There's six. There's six uh, MPs that don't have that don't don't exist. <laughs> MPs. Uh, you know what? It was probably it probably has something to do with. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm sure there's a way it makes sense. Um, uh, it's the same way the the sixty percent phase one makes sense. Bad math. <laughs> well, this is. I was about to say this is Wikipedia, so I believe it. <laughs> um, it's Wikipedia, so it can't be wrong. Anybody can update it, <laughs> but only the smart people do. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. Uh, anyway. Moving on. Moving on. What do you have? Been distracted. Uh, 50% of the Canadian public has received their first dose of the vaccine, which is a higher percentage than the amount of Americans who have received at least their first dose. Yeah. I get that. That's good and all. But I'm not sure this is a percentage thing, in the sense. I mean, I guess it has to be because we're I never going to catch up to the um, number of doses administers. No, exactly. But but we just need to administer 38 million. Yeah, they've they, they've administered 150 million. They've they've administered 250 million. Um, they don't have. 500 but, million people? No, a lot more of them had their second shot. Oh, okay. So they have a higher second shot percentage, we just have a higher first shot percentage. We have, they have a higher second shot, we have a higher at least first shot. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, so I, I would say they're still doing better than us. Yeah. But, um, because the uh, problem is, uh, once you get to the, once you get to the, at a certain point, it, you get to you get to the people that have the the vaccine hesitancy, right? At a certain point, you hit Rand Paul. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, the uh, there's just a lot fewer uh, vaccine hesitant Canadians um, by any poll than there are Americans, um, which is going to be a problem. I was going to say for them, but. It's a problem for the world whenever anybody isn't vaccinated, you know? Well, yeah, I think I think what they say you need to hit seventy five or eighty percent or something to get herd immunity, then the rest don't really matter. But the uh uh you know, there's they're still whatever number they're at, they're opening up. You watch these uh, hockey games and the US has fifty to seventy five percent full arenas. Yeah, well the um the C D C guidance is that if you have both you know, vaccines, and you're hanging out with a bunch of people that uh, also have both vaccines. You can hang out with as many as you want. If you have both vaccines, you have to wear a mask in public. Um, there's all this stuff. But, uh, you know, I think New Jersey pointed out um, something very valid, and New Jersey uh, is keeping their mask mandate. And the governor was asked in an interview why, and he said, you know, first of all, We've made the mistake of loosening restrictions too early before, so we're going to hang on for a bit. Um, and second, how do you know if somebody walking around without a mask has had both vaccines? Yeah, absolutely. Like, 
you can lie. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so I I think that their op- reopening is uh, uh, stupid. <laughs> well, we'll see what uh, happens with their cases. We'll risky. we'll determine how yeah risky. We'll determine how stupid it was in uh, yeah, a month or so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, I mean, it's good for Canada. We, we, we're lagging. We're doing good. We're picking we're, it up a bit. Exactly. We're finally picking it up a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's good. And, you know, here's the thing with this shows me is that it's not really the Canadian public. It was governments. Yeah, we were willing. Yeah, exactly. So. It just wasn't there. <laughs> Thank God. Alright, parting thoughts. Well, I gotta say, uh, I can't remember if I said this last week or not. I was excited about playoff hockey last week, I know, but they hadn't, Leafs hadn't played their first game, but I think some of the U.S. teams had, and I talked about it a little bit, but now watching the Canadian teams play, the Leafs and the Jets, and then even some of the series down south, uh, it's been really good, and it is nice to see fans in the stands in the U.S. games, uh, hopefully the COVID stuff stays under control. And, yeah, and, you know, game one, the Leafs kind of uh, did not have their best game, but they won game two, so that's good, and we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can... If they play, like, the way they did in that game, they should be fine. Um, Part of the problem was all Montreal's penalties in the second, part of Montreal's problem, not a problem for Toronto. But, you know, that happens when the other team has the puck and is is skating circles around you, and the, the, the defending team ends up taking penalties, so... You know, as much as Montreal wants to complain, uh, you know, tough. You sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I've been in Saskatoon, you know, a lot, quite a bit over the past uh, four or five months. And I've eaten at a lot of restaurants, but uh, one of the guys at the office recommended this restaurant called Primal, and he said, "I don't know." I heard about it. It's supposed to be good. It might be a bit hipster, but you, know, you should try it. Because he sends me to restaurants that he hasn't been to to see if they're any good. Because ah, I don't care. I'll go anywhere, somewhere new, or something to try out for sure. So, so uh, we went to this. We went to this place, Primal, and my goodness, was it fantastic! But not, and not only the food. The food was fantastic, uh, but. First of all, they have they have a little patio, just just three tables. They provide you with blankets on the patio. Oh, yeah, and they have a heater. We weren't sitting outside; we sat inside. It was cold, but they had, there were some people out there, and they were wrapped in their blankets. And there was a heater there, and they had some drinks and their dinner, and good for them. Those, we those ate are inside. The people who lived in Saskatoon their whole lives. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we went inside. Um, I. When the when we were outside and getting a drink while we were waiting for our table, the waitress said, "Have you eaten here before?" And I said, "No." She goes, oh, "Okay, well, we're a we're a local store, Saskatoon store. We get everything from around here. We have vegetable patches all over the area where we grow our vegetables from. Uh, in the once this growing season's over, we freeze dry a lot and freeze a lot to la- and preserve a lot to last us for the year. Uh, we get our all our protein from local animals from farms in the area." We use the entire animal, including any excess fat they use to make soaps and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So, like, 
and you know, so I had uh, I, I, I had the starter was the bison carpaccio which was uh, you know it's carpaccio like very thinly sliced normally it's beef but this was bison and then um, some uh, oh what is that uh, the, the lettuce um, reducchio reducchio something like that I don't know just lettuce you know the fancy lettuce and then a bunch of shaved parmesan cheese with just a couple of dollops of this garlic aioli oh to die for so good so so good and then i had for dinner i had a a mushroom uh, risotto uh, with truffle oil and again outstanding like really really good and yes it's a little expensive but you know when when a place goes to that effort it, it's worth a little bit more and the food was absolutely fabulous the atmosphere was fabulous the service was fabulous and i will be back to primal and if you're hey. in saskatoon you should go too yeah he's got a these businesses we got to support them because that's the business model we want absolutely and it does and you know what it's going to cost more to do that right like it just costs more but it was excellent and and it, was a, it wasn't a lot more. It was a couple bucks more than the other Italian place that's in town that's also very good, but doesn't do that. Yeah. It doesn't cost much. It doesn't cost more than we're often made to think by the people who want those kind of businesses to fail. Uh, it, it, the, the thing is, it... Uh, Buying local costs more than using the whole animal. Using the whole animal makes sense, but buying local can cost more. Yes. Like a cow from Saskatoon probably costs a lot more than a cow from Brazil. Yeah. Which is a problem. I didn't have a cow anyway. I had a bison and it was good. <laughs> Not many bison in Brazil. No. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I just got two things. One, one. It's just interesting to talk about because I like um, theorizing politically about elections and stuff. I hadn't noticed um, over our 54 episodes. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I think I, I mentioned a few episodes back that um, um, 338 Canada, which is the uh, uh, site that um, has the algorithm that predicts elections that I talk about a lot, it's always my reference because they have... I, they've predicted every Canadian election, be it provincial or federal, that's happened since uh, 2018, I think, and their worst one, they were 84% accurate. And I consider that to be pretty good numbers, especially when they're normally in the 90s. Um, like, if you can predict an election regularly with a minimal of 95% accuracy, that's fine. Um, you're always like, no one's going to get 100, so that's pretty good. Anyway, they, uh, they uh, like I said, I think I mentioned this before, they, they released a new um, feature that they call the Federal Simulator, where you have the, it gives you sliders for the, the, the Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Greens, the Bloc, and the People's Party. Um, and, uh, and the sliders move within the uh, confidence intervals. Right. Of the prediction for percentage of vote that the party will get. Yeah. And you can adjust them so that however you like, as long as they add up to 100%. Yeah. Uh, 
and then uh, it'll give you seat projections. Right. Based on how you've, you know, simulated your uh, election. And I like it because um, because it's all in the confidence intervals, it's, it, you know, you're not putting anything that's impossible. You can create some pretty unlikely scenarios, but it's yeah. not impossible. Right, yeah, yeah. So this gets updated every Sunday, and every Sunday I spend at least 20 minutes playing with it. It's my <laughs> favorite toy. It's my favorite computer game. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I decided, I wanted to figure out, the two parties that I like the most are the NDP and the Greens. Um, so I decided I wanted to figure out the best situation for both parties and uh, see if I could, like at what situation do they get the highest amount of seats? Um, and what I, what I figured out was that in a theoretical election that is like abysmal for the conservatives and the, and the liberals, um, but is very good for the Greens, NDP, uh, and the People's Party, and okay for the Bloc Quebecois, the NDP have a ceiling of 56 seats, and in the same election, the Greens could get six seats. Six. Six, which is double what they currently have. Right. But I was looking at this, and, and um, in this situation, the Liberals win the most seats, with a uh, a few more than the conservatives. Um, minority government for the liberals. And I was looking at this and I was thinking in this situation, if I were the NDP, if I would actually want it, because this is my most amount of seats that I can win, but, and it's enough to, um, you know, negotiate with the liberals for stuff because it was enough seats to break the majority threshold. Right. But in this situation, the Bloc Quebecois, where the, where the NDP are at 56, the Bloc are at 60. So the NDP are in fourth party status. Right. Whereas there is a, there's another situation where they win two less seats, they can tie the Bloc, 54-54, and if they bring it down to 52 seats, they can have the same power to, to break the majority thresholds, so to negotiate with the Liberals in a minority parliament, but have a third-party status. And I think I would rather that, because I'm not really losing any power, I'm still, you know, more than doubling the seats I have right now, and I think it looks better to have third-party status than it does to have just four extra seats and be behind the block, you know? Yeah, I mean... Does it matter? Like financially, does it matter to them or anything? Um, I, I, I think when it comes down to... It, it might not matter financially, but after it's um, speaking time, as you go down the list, like as you know, you're third, fourth, fifth, you're given less um, speaking time, less priority in the House of Commons for your requests to criticize and stuff like that. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, 
I'm happy if the block's not in the top three or four or five, but it's going to happen. Yeah, that's... The other thing is, everybody top. knows all the seats in the block are from Quebec, so however many seats they have, I don't think anybody counts them as third. Well, officially they're counted as third party. Yeah, but who cares? I don't. I mean, yeah. I still count them as not a party, so... Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The other interesting thing was the Greens. There's this situation where they get six seats. There's another situation where they keep the three they have, and the Liberals win 167 seats. Um, so they don't gain, the Greens don't gain any seats, but suddenly they have enough seats to bring the Liberals over the majority house threshold. And uh, in which case they'd have more power over the government than they would if they had six seats, but not enough seats to bring over the majority. Right. In that situation, I, if I were enemy Paul, I think I would rather double my seat count and not have the um, power to bring the government over the majority threshold because even though I'm, I'm perhaps not going to influence, I'm the story of the night. You know, election night, Greens double seat count, historic election for Greens. They win six seats across the country. They break a liberal stronghold in Ontario by winning Toronto Center. You know, suddenly people in those metropolitan areas are starting to see the Greens as a legitimate party. Uh, and you're going to do really well in the next election. Does six seats do that? Oh. People lost their mind. Like, it was a big story when they won their first seat, not in BC. It was a a big story for, like, a couple hours. I think think it would look really good if you're doubling your seat count. Yeah. And you're breaking liberal strongholds by by winning Toronto Centre. Yeah, it would. It would, but it's still, I, I just, it's not, any way you cut it, it's not the story. It's a, it's a... It's a it's a feel good story that they talk about, but it is better for uh, it is better. I mean, they need all the publicity they can get. Yeah, exactly. They're not. No, it's it's that's what it is. It's publis- publicity for the next election and the one after that. Exactly. If they just held on to their three seats, nobody's going to pay attention. No, that's true. So anyway, that's what I've got. Alrighty, well, that's it then. Thanks for listening, and we will talk at you again next week.